God, now as we look into this passage, we pray that as we see the power of God to save a soul, that we would be encouraged, that our hearts would be at ease in your presence to know that you have plans to help us, to give us a hope and a future, not to harm us. So may we trust you in new and deeper ways. In Christ's name, amen. You've all heard the saying, when God closes a door, he opens a window. Uh, it may sound kind of trite, but it's true. No such thing as a dead end for the life of a believer. Come on, God is constantly leading his dear children forward in his good plan for our hearts and lives. And that's exactly what we see going on here The Acts chapter 16, second missionary uh, journey. As Paul and his team, there, Silas, Dr. Luke, and Timothy, they're being led by the Holy Spirit uh, through the countryside of Turkey, as we saw last time. But they've come to a dead end of sorts, or so it seems. Um, let me review with the map. I love maps here. And so uh, there's the map. You'll have to use faith. <laughs> They go from here to there. Oh, there we are. Nice. 500 miles through Turkey with no rest, no stopping, no turning left or no turning right. The Holy Spirit is just driving them, driving them, driving them, driving them, driving them to a cul-de-sac. And facing them is the Aegean Sea. And nothing says a closed door like an ocean in front of you. And so that's what's going on there. Now, where's the open window? The open window comes on the pier where Paul is standing and saying, now what? And then the window opens in the form of a vision. A man from Macedonia, which is modern day Greece, from the European continent, and begging, saying, come and help us. And Paul and Dr. Luke and Timothy and Silas, they know what that means. Uh, they're hurting for the gospel. Uh, they're without God in this world. They're without hope because the gospel hadn't gone to Europe yet. And so they know what it's like to not have hope because they are former unbelievers themselves. And so they make haste and they know there's not a moment to spare. They secure their tickets there at the port of Troas. And verse 11 says, from Troas, we put out, we, Luke is involved now. And we know where, when Luke is in the mix because he uses uh, first person. We put out to sea and sailed straight from uh, straight for Samothrace and the next day to Neapolis. That was a trip of 125 miles. Neapolis, now they're on European soil. From there, we traveled 10 miles to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, of Greece. And we stayed there several days. On Saturday morning, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And bingo, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer, a businesswoman, 
dealing in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, uh, which is back in Turkey. They just passed through that region. And that's where she's from. Uh, and she's described as a worshiper of God. And I'll explain what that means. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Such beautiful language there. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, so the Lord opened other hearts as well, uh, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. All right, we'll pause there. But we will be going forward. And we're going to be meeting three people, three incidents here, uh, folks who come to know the Lord. This astute businesswoman who we've already been introduced to, uh, followed by a demon-possessed fortune teller. Uh, and then we have a prison guard, a warden there over the jail. He's going to come to know the Lord. And these three people will be the founding members of the Church of God at Philippi. They are the Philippians. And 10 years from this date, they will receive a letter <laughs> breathed by the breath of God through the Apostle Paul called the New Testament book of Philippians. So how blessed are these uh, folks here? We're going to get to know them a little bit and how they came to know the Lord. And so, uh, yeah, so the Holy Spirit will always lead a Christian to a person that God knows is struggling to know the truth. And that's what happens. Uh, the heart is stirred. They want answers. They're longing. They're in trouble. They're crying out in their own way to God. God knows where the Lydia's, the Lydia's are. And he makes sure the team finds them head on. He did it with you. He did it with me. And that's how he works. Because God is willing that nobody perish, but that everyone come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And so, yeah, they arrive in Europe. Where to begin? They usually look for a Jewish community so they don't have to reinvent the wheel in a foreign pagan culture with no biblical worldview whatsoever. So they want to start with a people that at least have the concept of the one true God, maker of heaven and earth, and that would be Jews living abroad. Well, no such luck with a synagogue, but their next best bet is oftentimes people People, and especially Jewish people would pray uh, on Saturday morning by the river. And so uh, bingo, as I said, they found these uh, women uh, praying and Lydia's in the mix. Paul finds the group and the Lord finds Lydia. Well, she's from Thyatira and uh, uh, that was a region that was famous for uh, making purple dye out of a plant called the, the, the matter root, M-A-D-D-E-R, if you're taking notes. Uh, so she, it seems she was an importer of purple cloth, which was very, very expensive. And only the affluent and the wealthy were able to afford it or would wear the color purple. And so uh, Lydia is an exceptional kind of gal. She has a company in, uh, under the ruling Roman Empire that's male-dominated. She's quite a woman. And um, she, there she is. She's got a nice home. She has servants. She probably has employees. And she has a heart to know 
the Lord. Now she's called a worshiper of God, which in the New Testament is code for uh, a a non-Jewish person who is a proselytite, I mean a convert to Judaism. So she's not Jewish ethnically, but she's Jewish in her heart. So sometime, maybe back in Turkey, uh, she got involved in a synagogue there somehow. Her her workers or a client or somebody was Jewish and she, and she came to know the Jewish God of Israel and now she's continued. Perhaps she moved to Europe to start her business uh, and she's kept up a pursuit of God, crying out for more and more revelation of truth which God will always answer. And so uh, perhaps she even has a few Old Testament scrolls. They're very, very expensive. But guess what? She's very, very wealthy. And she can afford the scrolls. So they, they uh, meet there. The Saturday morning ladies prayer group has surprise visitors. And the gospel comes. Paul gladly shares the good news. And she and the others gladly listen. And the Lord opens Lydia's heart because Lydia opened her heart to him. That's how it works. Nobody knows how to explain that. God is choosing. We are choosing. They work together. And when we get to heaven, our first two words are going to be, of course. But we can't figure out stuff here. But we do know that God opens our hearts as we open our hearts to him. And so there's water right there, time for baptism, verse 15, and a broader opportunity to witness. The crowd gathers, and Paul can't uh, resist that. He's going to preach, right? And there are going to be testimonies shared, and maybe Silas is going to lead in a hymn. Who knows, you know? But the bottom line is this. Lydia and others confess with their mouths Jesus is Lord, and they believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. Therefore, they are saved. Off of the wide road that leads to destruction, quoting Jesus, that many take and travel, onto the narrow road that leads to life that only, comparatively speaking, few will ever find. And what an honor that we're part of the few. Praise God for his mercy. Uh, So that afternoon, Calvary Chapel Philippi is born. (laughs) They have (laughs) church uh, members now, but uh, at the end of the evening, uh, there's no place to go. There's no place to hang out. There's no place to everybody to stay and refresh themselves until Lydia says, and this evidence is that somebody is truly saved, is when there are these kinds of changes. One, number one, she wants to contribute to the cause of Christ. She wants skin in the game now. She wants to contribute. Right, and not only is there a renewed desire to do to be part of the team in some way, but notice her humility. So these are things that happen when a person comes to know the Lord. Notice her humility here. She says, "If you would consider me a believer, no arrogant assertion or assumption." Here's what she's saying, Pastor Paul. I would love to help in the Lord's work. But, I mean, if you think my Christian understanding is adequate, if you guys think my experience seems genuine and sincere, I'd like to offer my home. And so she's saying, I got this spacious place, 
Maybe God gave me the house because he saw this day coming. And uh, we can host gatherings, and it's got a flat roof patio, and it's facing the river, so we can do baptisms. And there's a shop in the rear area where we do our work, and there's an entire section of the house where you men can stay separately. And then she added this, in my mind. When I'm writing the screenplay, this is what I do. <laughs> I, I, she says, I love to cook, and maybe there's a big celebration tonight at my place. Come on. A whole group just got baptized. Do you know how much joy is there when people realize my sins got washed away, and I didn't have to climb Mount Everest or swim to Hawaii. I just had to say, I'm sorry, Jesus, save me. And now, instead of eternal condemnation, I have eternal life. Well, you know what? People want to have like a steak dinner after something like that. And so, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. And uh, yeah, so she, they didn't have a place to go until she said, come to my house. And she persuaded us. And now... If you want to attend services, it's at Lydia's house at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 on <laughs> Sunday morning. So, okay, the church is up and running. And you know when they're meeting in the park there by the river and they're baptizing, the church is growing and they're making inroads. And when light comes into a dark place, it's irritating it, it, to those who are accustomed to the dark. And we're going to see something go on here, a dramatic uh, miracle here that's going to lead to a lot of drama. All right, uh, two slides coming up. One point, though, verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer again in the morning, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future she earned a great deal of money, and in the Greek, it's a ton of cash for her owners by fortune-telling for them. Now, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they're telling you the way to be saved. That's just so hilarious to me that even the devil can't keep his mouth closed there. Uh, <laughs> verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turns around and said to the spirit, you, in the name of Jesus Christ, I commend you, Come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized this incredible miracle, they repented and they said, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? No. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, <laughs> and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. Bunch of lies. All right, so let's go back to uh, the first uh, slide there. We'll walk through and meet our second convert here. Uh, on the way to church, God knows how to attract uh, a crowd. See, and so a woman is going to have her life set free. It's going to set into motion, though, a wicked 
wicked retaliation from Team Satan, and they are not, uh, they will not appreciate losing a little battle here with this uh, servant girl. And so an amazing miracle is going to kind of precipitate painful difficulties for Team Jesus. So uh, instead of posting something on Facebook or social media to attract some foot uh, traffic to the river area, God's got a better idea. He's going to flex his muscles in the crowd and say, watch this. And he's going to deliver a woman from demon possession. Demons. They're fallen angels. You remember God made a bunch of angels. The head angel was called Lucifer, which means light bearer. Uh, The scripture says he was so beautiful he fell in love with himself and desired to rule over God's throne. That didn't go so well. And so uh, somehow... He managed to convince one-third of God's holy angels uh, to follow him, and they now are around. They are spirits, and they can possess people, and they can possess animals, as we learned in the Gospel of Mark, when uh, the Lord Jesus uh, allowed a legion of demons to enter a herd of swine. And so that's kind of creepy, though I do think that some of our pets that we have owned in the past (laughs) may have been afflicted with these kinds of demons. And so... (laughs) But I digress. The dog's name was Wally. Just so you know. Come out, you know, just uh, not not good. All right, so, yeah. um, Now, these spirits can possess uh, people, and uh, when they're open and willing and available, and apparently this slave girl was. Now, uh, she, this fortune teller, she's the real deal. She's got the real power. But most that we know of today with the neon signs, with the palm and all of this, uh, that's just money-making shams. They're fraudsters. They don't even know what they're dealing with. Uh, but some directly are know exactly what they're doing because they are plugged in supernaturally, aided and abetted uh, by unclean spirits, as they're called, uh, who make their homes in their hearts. Terrible. Uh, now, listen, because demons are not divine, they're created beings. They cannot read minds. They do not have the ability to foretell the future Uh, They have vast experience. They've been around for ages and ages. Uh, They have intelligence. They can read and predict human behavior. Uh, They know a lot about our relatives who have passed. They know a lot about us. And they can attempt to uh, steer events and manipulate things toward a predicted outcome. That's what they do. And it's been quite lucrative for the owners. I hate to use the word pimps, uh, but that's kind of what's happening here. Uh, They are making a profit off of uh, this young lady. And so apparently they've built a little studio apartment and hung a neon sign in the window, as it were. And there are long lines wrapping around the corner because she's not a fake as far as fakes go. She's a fake with some power. <laughs> and so, yeah, so these lost souls are, are, are looking for a little insight, living in 
under the tyranny of Roman gods and goddesses. They want a little insight. So they're, they're, she's very popular. But those lost souls are looking in the wrong place as she herself will tell them. These men, in a delicious irony, these men are servants of the Most High God. They're the real deal. And they're telling you something that a lot better than me telling you something here and there. They're telling you how your soul can be made right with God and you will be blessed to live forever. That's what they're telling you. Now, what's going on with God enabling or allowing demons to help evangelize in the cause. I believe, first of all, it's a shout out to the New Testament truth, which is kind of a prophecy of sorts, written, um, interestingly, to the Philippians, where he says, you know what? One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, whether in heaven with the angels there, or on earth with the people here, or under the earth where the demons of hell will abide, even there. So there's a little foretaste of glory divine here for the devils uh, that they are going to be confessing the truth. And what misery for the demons to be forced to say, to have their possessed one say with the tongue, the truth of who these men actually were and the truth of the gospel. That what a burn, what a burn for the enemy to be singing the praises of the one they hate. And so there's a little bit of that going on. But even when Jesus allowed it to happen around him, uh, he never permitted it to go on very long, you'll recall, because the testimony may be true, but the source is false. And as I've said before, the Lord doesn't need a letter of recommendation from the devil, you know. So uh, when the initial squawking has served its purposes, then he sends them packing. And Paul knows this, and he becomes troubled. Something's going on in the girl's heart because nobody gets delivered by the Spirit of God without faith in Jesus. And so something is happening in that troubled girl's soul. Verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, now there's the reaction. And so, yeah, the reaction comes because uh, of what happens with her losing uh, that power to be wise, as it were, to, to make her predictions. And so the owners are going to show their true colors, right? And what's really important, that's the way God works. He's always revealing and exposing, not just to shame people, uh, but he exposes for redemptive purposes. Because if something's hidden and you're even deceived about it, how can you make it right? So God is into exposing for good so that that which is bad and hurtful can become good and helpful. Uh, so notice what they care about. It's not the girl, her well-being, or the message. You, you see, what's funny to me is, is that they knew she had supernatural power and that her messages were to be listened to. But then she has a message that says, hey, these men are telling you about how to be saved and they're from God, but they disregard that message. Why? 
Well, they want the messages and they, they believe in the messages that uh, kind of go in line with their lusts and their coveting and what they want. She's right on there. But when, they, when she starts to affirm a message that they know will be submit to the God who made us, who will require repentance from the sins that they so dearly love, oh yeah, we're not going to listen to her for that. So, and how about the power that they just saw, the miracle, you know, were they impressed? No. What about the power that's more powerful than the power that possessed their slave? No. Oh, and, and here's what I started to say before I read the verse. What troubled Paul and pushed him over the line was is that that girl's heart, she'd been following the missionaries. She's heard the gospel. She's even hearing from the force within her affirming the message. And so she, with the little power that she does have, starts to cry out. And maybe it was just one word help. And that word, the second she said, help me God, the Holy Spirit twirled Paul around and commanded, do it. And Paul says, in the name of Jesus, you release her. And boom, she's set free because God hears our voice when no one else can. He sees our lives of quiet desperation. She comes to faith. Now here's the problem. We're, we're all happy for her, right? But here's the problem. Um, the cash cow has died. And, and now all she wants to do is go with her new friends down to the river. Hang out with her new family, you know? And when her clients come and line up and say, call on your magic powers! She just breaks down and sobs. And her owners are like, oh, she can't. She's disabled. We've got to put her on disability for fortune tellers. You know, <laughs> what are we going to do? And so, you know, um, they see red. Well, you know what? They see green in the form of cash leaving their bank accounts. Uh, no more golden chariots pulling up. You know, no more extra cash to buy everybody drinks at the bar. It's on me because I'm rich. You know, look at me. I'm so wonderful. Yeah, no more extra houses on the Mediterranean. Why? It's all because of them. Those Jews. Now, now look at that. <clears throat> To seize and drag somebody, they're violent words for sure. And of course, they begin with the race card, 100% race card. These are Greeks. They look different. They act different. They do not like the Jews. Why don't they like the Jews? Oh, I'll tell you why. Because Jewish communities in these pagan nations didn't worship Caesar as God. They wouldn't bow the knee. They'd rather go to their death. And they didn't celebrate the immoral holidays. They didn't go to their wretched shrines and do their detestable uh, behaviors. Jews, when they heard the name Zeus and Aphrodite, they rolled their eyes. They didn't bow their knees. 
They didn't laugh at their jokes. They didn't buy products that had been dedicated to idols. They refused to party and go to toga parties. And they, 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 when the emperor announced that he was going to marry a man, the Roman world cheered. And the Jews didn't go to the wedding. Those hateful, intolerant Roman phobes, if we can call them that. So they pressed charges. Verses 20 and 21, these Jews telling us Romans how we can live our lives, what's right and what's wrong, interfering with our businesses and our livelihoods. Uh, You know, I take issue with throwing our city into an uproar. Oh, no. No, that's a lie. When the gospel comes to town, peace comes. Order. Obey the civil authorities was what Paul was preaching. Do good to all people. Love one another. Help the needy among you. Turn from doing the wrong thing and do the right thing. That's not causing an uproar. He would also tell them, honor the emperor, pray for the emperor. You see, advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to practice. One writer said, oh, come on. It wasn't that they were advocating unlawful customs for for Romans to follow that made them so furious. It was that the missionaries were advocating a changed life, repentance from sin, the sin that they loved and valued more than their own souls. That's what filled them with hot indignation. Let's finish up now. Three paragraphs, but one point here. We'll meet our third Christian convert. Yeah, so no good deed goes unpunished, right? So here we go with verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack, of course, (laughs) against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped in public. That's first uh, penalty right there, first punishment. And then beaten. After they had been severely flogged, third punishment. They were thrown into prison, fourth punishment. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully upon receiving such orders. He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks designed to maximize maximize pain and discomfort. By the way, verse 25. About midnight when it was darkest, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God as the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open uh, wide, he drew his own sword and was about to do the unthinkable and kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, man. We're all here, buddy, relax. Don't panic. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. (laughs) He then brought them out of the cell, a more comfortable place to talk, and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household believe in the Lord Jesus. Did you follow me there? 32. 
And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized down to the river? Question mark. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. (laughs) Happy little passage, isn't it? Right? So let's go back to the beat down, verse 22. Uh, No good deed goes unpunished, folks. Just believe it. Know it in your heart, especially true if it's in Jesus' name. They'll always be pushed back. So they rile up the crowd. The crowd goes crazy. And can you blame them? Why? What has the crowd been listening to? Fake news. Uh, Inflammatory... These guys have come in and here's what they're doing. It's all fake. It's all wrong. Inflammatory words. The race baiting. They're Jews. We're Romans. Come on. Hate speech galore. And as a result, they want to destroy these guys. Let's teach these intolerant, narrow-minded, Roman-hating Christians a lesson. So they begin first with public humiliation. Stripping them in public. That was something they did. They tear your clothes off in front of everybody and mock you while you stood there naked, vulnerable. Oh, my word. You know, they may not do that to Christians today, but they do have other ways to humiliate us, to slander us and alike. So, after humiliation and beat down, uh, and the beating was, they called for the, they're called lictors, and they were the guys with the rods, and they had a formal form of beat down, that they would lay you down on your stomach first and beat you all on your backside and flip you over and beat you again with rods. But wait, there's more. Then they took them, and the Jews had a limit too, because (laughs) Jews had a Bible. And even in punishing, they had a limit to how many times you could flog a person. Not so in Rome. And they flogged them, and flogged them, and tore the skin off of their backs, on top of the beatdown, without any clothes on. And then maybe tossed their their clothes back on them and sticking to their dirty, uh, bloody bodies and then tossed them into jail where you just want to lay down and pray that it get over quickly and you see the face of the Lord. But no, they shackled them into painful stocks in that condition. Hope you had a good lunch. Slams the door makes a snide remark and leaves them hurting, thirsting, hungry, bloodied, in such pain and humiliation. And uh, they're left alone. But are they ever alone? Oh no, we've got a God that says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When you walk through the fire, those flames are not going to set you ablaze. And to prove little illustration, there in Daniel chapter 3, 
there were three young Jewish men who said, we are not bowing. It doesn't matter. Kill us. God could save us. Even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. We cannot bow to anything other than the truth and to God himself. And the king said, well, I hope you like the fire. We're going to heat it up for you seven times hotter than usual so that the attendants who throw you in there, they're going to actually perish from the flames. Hope you like it. Boom, in they go. And Jesus says, hey, guys, <laughs> fancy meeting you here. And he shows up as a fourth man that everybody can see. And he said, now you go back up there and you tell that king, we're not bowing down to your truth no matter what you ever do to us. We're going to keep on singing our praises to our God. And so when they lift them out, they do, it says, you couldn't even smell a scent of smoke on their garments. Why? Because they trusted in their God and they stood for truth and they said, no matter what, God is able to save. Amen? Yeah. All right. You don't need to burst into applause there. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> for the, I'm talking about the guys. I mean, I, whenever I hear that story, I'm just like, I can't wait to meet those guys. You see, and so, yeah. Verse 25, about midnight. Now, when it's darkest, what gets into Christians? How is this possible? You're hurting, you're bleeding, you feel abandoned, you're, you're in such pain, you've been humiliated, and now what do you do? You sing to God. Praises. <laughs> I love that. Now, they had options. Team Jesus had other things they could be doing, as we all do after we experiencing uh, tra traumatic situations. They could get hugely disappointed, disillusioned with faith, and give up, and stop going to church, and have all your questions about God, as Christians do. Uh, they could get a little testy with God. After all we've done, this is what you let it happen. How could you? You know, yeah, that that happens. That was an option. They could have been licking their wounds and, you know, crying into their beer. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Strike that. Reward. Don't record that. All right, whatever. <laughs> Okay, they could be throwing a big pity party, inviting the whole uh, neighborhood and start singing, nobody knows, <laughs> you know. Or they could second guess themselves, what well, Paul, why'd you have to go and do that with the girl and the slave girl? Uh, things were going good. She was working for us. Right. And we were going to the prayer service. We wouldn't be here now if you didn't turn. And do that one little thing. Oh no, they're not second guessing themselves. They know that they did a good deed for the Lord Jesus Christ and they are going to stand up and sing. And so some might say, we got to tone it down. But they're thinking, let's turn it up and let's start singing some praises <laughs> while all the other prisoners are listening. What's motivating this madness? Well, Christian joy, my friends, runs a lot deeper than happiness. Happy comes from the word happenstance or happening. So if what's happening is good, you can be happy, you see? Christian joy comes from a situation that is changeless, it's not about what's happening. It's about what happened 2,000 years ago and what God has done in your heart that is 
never going to change so that we can in any circumstance still have joy. Our sins are forgiven. God is working this out for good. And uh, we can trust in Him. And they were honored to share in the sufferings of Christ. They're they're, they're like (laughs) to each other, man, God considered us worthy. We're being treated like Jesus is being treated. Think about it. Stripped. Check. He was stripped. Mocked. Falsely accused. Beaten. Check. Punched in the mouth. Punched in the mouth, it says. And more than that, beaten so much that beaten so much that it was hard to recognize him from the swelling as being human. Flogged. And then his feet fastened not to stalks, but to something more painful than stalks. A Roman cross with a spike through the sinless feet of the creator of all things. In love, laying down his life for those who wanted nothing to do with him. So Paul and Silas say to each other, He knows how we feel, and he let us be treated as he's being. What what flattery to say that we are being treated and persecuted the same way as our Lord was. Must be doing something right. So Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you're in good company. Great is your reward in heaven for every insult, every rejection, every cross you've ever borne for Jesus, every time you've turned the other cheek and kept a tight rein on your tongue, every single time has accrued for you an eternal reward. I can't wait to see that for you and for me. They're grateful to be alive. They start singing. And that kind of choice that in their pain and in their grief suffering for them to sing worship songs to God, that touched the very heart of the Most High God. And he couldn't contain his joy. And it moved him to such in such a way that he shook the place up, didn't he? A violent earthquake, your text says, which all of Philippi felt. They didn't get a lot of earthquakes. So when they got that earthquake, they knew what happened that day, that God was sending them a message about how God felt about what they did that day. And so it was a message to the opposition saying, you better get right with God. And it was a message to those God's children saying, I'm on the throne, I'm working, and I'm pleased. Now, what a miracle. When do you ever hear about an earthquake where the walls don't collapse and the roof doesn't cave in, but just the the prison doors open up and the chains fall off? The earthquake was to get everybody's attention to what he can do and set his people free, and that's what he did. The foundations are shaken, the prison gates fly open, and everybody's, everybody's chains come undone. Why? They've been listening. And when unbelievers around us watch a Christian under the grace of God handle injustice or painful troubles in a godly way to turn the other cheek, 
to love your enemies, those prayers that were offered for their abusers and persecutors. Well, yeah, now those guys who heard that and singing, now their chains are off too. And that often happens around us as the world watches. They get freed up too. They get freed up. So the jailer jumps to the wrong conclusion in verse 27. Uh, in Roman times, the, the guard would lose a prisoner. He'd lose his life. So he figures, well, come morning, I'm dead anyway. So let's just get it over with. But little does he know. These prisoners are different. They've got quality. They've got character. They've got love for enemies in their hearts. And so instead of running for their lives, they know the well-being of one soul is more important than their own freedom and convenience. And so that's the Christian way to love. And so uh, Paul sees the guy in the shadows with the sword. And Paul says, man, 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 do not do that. It's okay. We're here. We're not going anywhere. We could. We're not. And I think the tone and the love shown that man had a greater impact on his heart than the earthquake. You see, how is it possible? I just broke your nose, man. And I I cracked your friend's ribs. And I made snotty remarks to you as I fastened your feet extra tight in there. And now you're speaking kindly to me. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And notice the phrasing there. He heard the demonized girl. These men are telling you the way to be saved. So he asked, okay, I'm all ears. How can I be saved? And so notice there, so we've got 29 up there. We're closing out there, last uh, little slide. But notice when he's asked, what must I uh, do to be saved? Paul answers, well, you need to be a good person. You need to stop cussing so much. You, you military people, come on. Uh, quit doing bad things, man. Become a conservative and vote accordingly. <laughs> Change your views on human sexuality. Nope, it's not there. You know why? Because you can do all of the above and still go straight south. You need to come to know Jesus, and then he takes care of the rest. That's what we do. That's the gospel. And uh, yeah, that's the gospel. And trust in Jesus and be saved, you and your family. And so there was this weird thing going around. Yeah, you trusted, and, and, and because you trusted in the family, then you're all, the rest of your family saved. What? No. You trust in, in, in Jesus and you and your family will be saved as you and your family trust in Jesus, right? That's the truth there. Quick elaboration, verse 32. He didn't need three hours either. It's three minutes. It's not rocket science to figure out the gospel. Heartwarming response as we wrap up. Now, new creation in Christ. You see evidence here. You know, <laughs> James chapter 2 says, man, stop telling us, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. He says, stop doing that. Show me you're a Christian. You don't have to say anything, just let your words, you know, as he's falling before them, trembling, asking to be saved, and then getting up and washing 
their wounds and setting food before them. And instead of fastening their feet into painful stalks, he's fluffing up pillows trying to make them comfortable. Why? Because God has met him and he has met God. And now he's been raised up to a new life. He's a different person. He's baptized after washing their wounds while he wept out loud baptized he and his family down to the river under the moonlit sky. I don't know. And then he's cooking, he's preparing, he's serving them. He's going to nurse them back to health there. And uh, all of this just beautiful. Yeah. So uh, no one seems too terribly worried about the sunrise and the authorities coming in and seeing the place a shambles and knowing that now the prison guard is now on their team, you see? But nobody seems to, to worry about that. He's full of joy. My sins are washed away. I have eternal life. My family's in a safe place. We know the love of God. And now, for the end of our days, God will be our Father watching out over us. This is a beautiful thing. And so that's what the important part is. Now, let me tell you what happens when daylight does come. The authorities send word. Release those men. So the jailer says, good news, guys. You're not going to believe this. They just sent word and said, get those guys out of here. And Paul says, seriously? Oh, no, 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 no. They beat and humiliated and flogged and and threw us into prison as Roman citizens. Uh Uh-oh. No one assumed that Paul and Silas are both Roman citizens, and you cannot treat a Roman citizen like that. So he says, oh, no, no, no. I want you to go back and tell the authorities uh, we're Roman citizens, and we would like you to come and escort us and talk to us nicely, and perhaps then we'll leave. So he goes back, and they say, man, they're Roman citizens. They're, They're like, their faces go pale, and they come down to appease them. They come down saying, oh, sorry about that. And we're just hoping that maybe you'd like to leave the area. Now we know that there's a town called Berea and Thessalonica. Maybe you'd like to be moving on <laughs> to those towns. And so, and so they do. But they go to Lydia's house. And uh, there's a lot of joy that night. Oh, then you're not going to believe what happens. To be continued. (laughs) It's pretty good, by the way. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we love you. We're glad for all these truths. Lord, just the buckshot of all kinds of things to take away. Depending on where our hearts are at, Lord, you minister life. Help us to... Let the truth set our hearts free and embolden us to keep singing. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.